Hi, everyone, and welcome into Elevate Hers Empower Space, What I Wish I Knew series. This limited series that helps you and other young professionals learn from seasoned professionals all the things they wish they knew when entering the workplace. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Empower Space podcast by Elevate Her. Today we have Amy Jones, the president of O'Connell Robertson, and we'll be discussing navigating workplace interaction. So welcome, Amy. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you came into the AEC industry, kind of how you got to the role you're at now? Sure. Thank you. Let's see. Going way back, I joined the AEC industry and O'Connell Robertson, the firm I'm still at, 25 years ago this year as a marketing director. My background was in communications, marketing, PR, in the private and nonprofit sector. I joined an established firm in O'Connell Robertson as their first dedicated marketing director and really the only person in the firm with a communications and PR background, non-technical, non-AE, if you will. Over several years, I grew into the marketing director role after serving really more like a marketing coordinator when they first hired me, although the title was there. I was responsible for RFQ production and proposals and supporting interviews and any of the production for marketing materials that we did. After several years, we hired a coordinator that I managed. And when our principal in charge for business development and marketing, who had hired me, left after I'd only been there four years, a really big door opened, which gave me, I like to describe as a pretty wide leadership lane to fill for the firm. I expanded my business development activity to have a significant impact on pursuits and wins and really continued to direct the marketing and business development activity. We opened another regional office in 2000, and I oversaw the marketing for that region as well for a while. I became a principal in the firm in 2004, so after about seven years with the firm. And from there, I grew into a project executive role, staying involved in early planning and design to maintain that client connection that I had developed during the pursuit. And I served as a principal in charge for numerous projects in our education market. I became more active in the community, taking on a regional and leadership role, supporting education initiatives, and I began to just take on more roles internally from a strategic planning standpoint for the firm overall. As part of a planned leadership transition by our former CEO, who remains one of my mentors today, I became president in 2016 when he distributed some of his roles and responsibilities looking toward retirement. I became co-CEO in 2018 when he retired and sole president CEO in 2020. That's how I got to where I am. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. So you've kind of started ground floor, worked your way up. Have you ever experienced a time at any of those levels where you didn't feel respected at work, either by a colleague of the same level or maybe by a supervisor? Sure, but not very often, I have to admit. Our firm culture has, yes, it's very good. And our firm culture just really doesn't, it doesn't support that kind of activity, if you will, or attitude. But I will admit that when I was first hired at our firm, there were a couple of experienced architects, people with a lot more experience just in years of work than I had in general, but also technical leaders. I was brand new to the industry and I was the first person in the firm that was really not technical 
even doing the marketing and communications. And at the time, the firm had been around for 40, 45 years, but they were looking at at growth and really wanted to position for that and knew that a full-time focus on marketing and communications was important. So these individuals, they just, I would say the best way to describe it is they didn't really acknowledge me at all. They were leaders and they just moved forward with their leadership activity at the associates level and and they just really didn't pay any attention to me. And it was hard. It was hard when I needed to get information from them and and they would reply, but they certainly didn't acknowledge that I was critical, I guess, to the success of the firm and weren't always very responsive. But the key here was that I had a great relationship with my boss and mentor who was a principal in the firm. And he was a tremendous advocate for me. He placed me in leadership roles and he publicly supported me. You know, he modeled the kind of respect that I, you know, that they wanted me to have. And that made all the difference in my ability to stay in the firm and really grow into a firm leader. Yeah. It sounds like there's a really good culture there in place, minus maybe these few individuals. What would you say to a listener who maybe is not ex- experiencing that same supportive, inclusive culture, you know, if they're getting disrespected? So over the years, I've had the opportunity to mentor a number of individuals, women in the AE industry and also just to, you know, whether it was an official mentoring relationship, just to have conversations with a lot of people in other firms. And I think it's just really important that you you don't exist in an environment where you're not respected. I think you have to find your ally or your advocate in the firm. Hopefully, that's the person or people who brought you in to the organization and make sure that they understand the environment that may be happening when they're not looking and that they support you in that. But I think you have to be open and you have to be honest with the leaders of the firm, particularly those that you know well. And you should come into a firm with that kind of a rapport within your hiring structure. That's good. Thank you. And, you know, hiring structure, power structure. How did you navigate the power structures within your firm early in your career? And how has that changed now that you are in this position of power? I've found that my position might have been a little unique in that I was immediately aligned with the leadership team. But I also think that's not totally uncommon with marketing leadership. You have to communicate, collaborate with principals and senior level team members in order to get things done. So in most cases, I think there's an opportunity at least to align with the leadership team. I worked with the principals in the firm from the start. Initially, my role was really in facilitating them, if you will, in theirs and our pursuit of work in the marketing and BD side, but I always had access to them. And my boss, who was at the time one of four firm principals and owners at the time, treated me with so much professional respect and really involved me in real decision-making conversations. So that was a great opportunity that I had. And of course, now that I'm a principal owner of the firm, I realize there were a lot of business aspects that I was unaware of that were happening. So maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I knew or have as much access as I thought. But I didn't need all that to complete my role and complete the work as director of marketing. And I do think sometimes earlier in our careers, we think we need to know everything that's going on in a firm to be a leader. And we don't. You want to know your role well and lead there first. 
begin by really owning the responsibilities of your job. And then when you have a chance to hire someone, you know, add to your team, if you will, to bolster what you're doing, think about hiring somebody who's going to be your replacement. They'll push you to, to do more. They'll push you to move up to the next level, whether that's a true title or promotion or just expansion and elevation of your work and role in the So essentially kind of putting the ladder down for others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, great. Thank you. A lot of our listeners, they may feel nervous or alienated by having to discuss a personal life situation um, or change with their supervisor and then potential work modifications related to this event. What advice would you give our listeners to go into a meeting with their boss um, and make sure they can communicate you know, what they need and what they want, perceived or real? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say number one is be honest. Be honest with yourself and with your boss. That's the first step. Really try to think about what the company is going to need if you can actually do that. You know, sometimes you can't. It's a personal emergency that pulls you out immediately. You have to change something and that's different. So let's focus on if, if you're trying to plan for some change. If you can, consider being solutions oriented. Come to the table with ideas of how your reduced work hours or the flexibility needed can still accomplish the tasks that you're responsible for. You know, be realistic about what you can continue to do or contribute, but make sure you understand that the company has goals to meet and they'll have to find another way to get there if your role is changing. If you can be part of the solutions, that should be well received. And I would say, you know, if you're worried about future leadership opportunity and losing traction towards that, you know, think about the fact that everyone isn't always climbing the ladder to the next level. And that's okay. I don't know if you want me to drill down deeper into that, but I could. Yeah, I think our listeners would like to hear it. If you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, companies need people who are steady and reliable. A variety of employees keep the doors open. So be honest with your boss about where you're at in your life and how that's aligning with your career and the company's goals. Opportunities for growth should never just stop being available forever. But keep in mind timing and alignment with the company's activity. It really has to be part of the equation. So they may not be able to wait for you, if you will. But if you work together, you can look for another opportunity in the future to get, let's say, back in the fast lane if you want. It may or may not be exactly when you're ready to jump right in, but all along, open communications is critical to the opportunity. And, you know, I would share one of the most meaningful and important lessons I learned about supporting people where they are was from our former CEO and how he supported one of our employees when she was going through cancer treatment over a period of years. She continued to work throughout treatments, sometimes taking leave from work, but the firm always had a place for her. She inevitably and well, not inevitably, but over the long term, she lost her battle with cancer. Sorry. But I'll never forget her husband telling me that her job was one of the things that kept her going. It made her feel valued and normal, as he said, even as her health declined. And he told me it was so important for her that she could come to the office and just be an architect. And I've thought about that often over the years. We were a busy growing firm. And she really couldn't take on more at that time. She didn't, you know, she didn't advance. She wasn't climbing the ladder. And she probably would have if she hadn't been sick. But she contributed. She continued to contribute in many ways, certainly not only through her work on projects, but leading 
everyone around her through her strength and her character. And we made sure there was a place for her. Companies are made up of many different individuals. And I can tell you, every one of them is dealing with different issues at any given time. And so as you are navigating changes in your personal life that impact your career, be honest with your boss or with the leadership if you can and work through it with them or try to provide some ideas or solutions that will allow all of you to stay connected and and work through it if possible. But know that, you know, sometimes those things just don't align up. I think you make a really good mention of, you know, everybody is going through something outside of work. And sometimes we forget because we have this professional maybe mask on. um, And we forget that our colleagues and our bosses are also people like us. And with that being said, I know a lot of people try to keep that professional mask and kind of keep their maybe emotions in and they're scared to express them or be honest, like you said, for fear of maybe being emotional and crying at work. So have you ever cried at work? And if so, how did you address it with others? How did they, you know, address it with you? Did it maybe change how people viewed you or change your relationship with anyone? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. The answer is yes. I have cried at work. And I'll share with you my first experience crying at work at here at the firm, because it's kind of funny. It was the first year I joined the AE industry. It was very new to me, as I mentioned. I'd come from nonprofit jobs. And it was 25 years ago. I was, I think I was one of only two women on the floor that I was on probably one of five, maybe six in a 30, 35 person firm at the time. But I was also a one person department. I was the communications marketer in a very technical A&E firm. I didn't have any peers in the firm. I pretty much only worked with, you know, with on a regular basis, the principal in charge of marketing and business development. And he was great. He was a great guy, very personable, a mentor to me, but it was very much a boss staff, boss to staff relationship. So. The first year I was there on my birthday, the first time I had a birthday while working there, I went to work and no one really knew it was my birthday. Nobody cared. No one offered to take me to lunch, nothing. And it just really hit me that day that I hadn't developed any friends at work. And I'm a people person. I'm all about relationships and people. I'm at my best when I'm connecting. So I was called into his office to talk about a project deadline and you know, that day, he just happened to be very businesslike. He was being very direct. And, you know, a side note here, I'd actually been pulled over for, for speeding on my way to work that day. Oh, no. So it was just kind of a stressful day. Things were building. And I hadn't gotten a ticket because the police officer actually noticed it was my birthday on my license and kind of let me go. And it, it wasn't a, a major infraction. But anyway, my boss finally stopped talking to me because I think I was Maybe, you know, he could tell that, that there was a level of angst I was experiencing might have been getting kind of red in the face. And he asked if everything was okay. And the stress of it all, the deadline, less than a year into a very new role, feeling like nobody really cared about me at the office, I just started to cry. I couldn't hold it back. And, and I remember it because it was just, I mean, it was awkward and he didn't know what to do. <laughs> he was very considerate. Of course, he immediately offered to take me to lunch and he never forgot my birthday again. And he made sure that his partner who became my boss later knew my birthday as well. And I've gotten a bottle of wine from him every year on my birthday. But, you know, it just happens sometimes. And 
And he handled it very well. Like I said, it was a little awkward, but that's kind of my first story. There have been a few other times that I've cried over the years at work, a few due to stress, work stress. And these I typically have handled in a bathroom stall. Although, you know, when you come out, the red eyes are are a dead giveaway. But, you know, there have also been times over the years where we've had some real life tragedies that happen with coworkers and others that you know through work. And I've never felt that this became an issue with how I was respected or how I was seen as a leader. Yeah, I've cried. Uh, I had a closet, a crying closet, but, oh. but now I have an office. So an upgraded crying space. <laughs> what would you recommend to leaders, you know, when they yeah. see me crying in the closet or they see their supervisees crying uh, due to work sure. stress? Yeah, it happens. Uh, stress can be brought on by pressures at work, of course, and also by personal life issues and challenges, as I mentioned. And you know, at, at our firm, we honestly try to have a culture of support and awareness when it comes to the work stress. So I really don't see many tears from just the stress at work. Although the last couple of years have been tough for everybody, we've talked about burnout a lot. We've talked about the workload, the stress of COVID. We've had a lot of open dialogue, which I think helps offset that, that angst when you bottle it up inside. But I will say in 20 years of, of working together, again, before, during, and since COVID, we've had some tragedy within our own and, and our employees' lives here at the firm. You know, we have almost 100 people. And so things happen, and, and this does bring tears in the workplace. I think it's important to acknowledge the tears and the stress, frustration, sadness, you know, sometimes devastation that brings them on. I also think when it happens and you're in the moment, it's important to just give people a minute to let it out and then compose themselves if they can. You know, just let them have that, that moment to release whatever it is and then ask what you can do to help sincerely. Ask how you can help them. Sometimes people need help. Sometimes they just need to release those feelings and then they can begin to move forward. That's the advice that I would give. Yeah, I think compassion and, and empathy go a, a long way, right? I do believe. So to kind of change topics a little, you know, you're an amazing leader. What can women do to develop their leadership skills? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think women can develop leadership skills similar to the way that men can. Watch other leaders, learn from them, practice those skills. Sometimes earlier in your career, you're busy working, producing, meeting deadlines as part of a team, and you don't always see the opportunity to lead there. You just don't see yourself in that way. I strongly suggest getting involved in other organizations, nonprofit boards or committees or professional organizations like SMPS or AIA or Elevate Her and taking on a leadership role or take on a volunteer leader role within your company. Lead an internal committee or a company team building event like maybe a heart walk with one of your healthcare clients or a school supply drive for an education client. You'll naturally gain some leadership skills in areas like communications, organization, planning, and more. And then these are skills you can bring back to your firm and that will be very evident to leaders within. You know, the, the last thing I would say on this is I would suggest to all people 
strengthen and exhibit communication skills and look for the opportunity to present to firm leaders or principals whenever you can. When leadership sees someone who can communicate well, they'll find opportunities for them to grow and expand. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. As a technical person at my company, I think you know there's a lot of focus on that technical aspect, the science aspect, and we're maybe not strong in the communication or presentation. So yeah, getting involved outside of work is a good way to work on those skills that we maybe weren't taught in school or practicing every day. So thank you. A lot of people also sometimes worry about being in a leadership role that they then maybe alienate people or fall into like bad habits that have always been there. You know, this we've always done it this way kind of culture. And instead of breaking like the toxic cycle, we become like maybe a harsh leader instead of just a strong leader. So how can women specifically, but really anybody as they work their way up in leadership, break this toxic cycle, any toxic cycle if they're experiencing it and be powerful and strong without being harsh or alienating the people they're supposed to be leading? Okay, that's a challenging question. Yeah, it's a little loaded. <laughs> I Well, and I don't have a lot of personal experience with someone who, you know, is alienating because of their leadership role. So I think what I rely on is just authenticity. You know, whatever it is that you're leading and, you know, ho- however you're presenting yourself in a position of power if you understand the goal of the effort in what you're working on together or what you're pursuing, and you can authentically try to support that by leading the way with your ideas or with your ability to execute, I don't think you come off that way. So then I would flip that and say, I would ask, what is it about a position of power that is coming across in a way that is alienating or negative to better understand the perception that someone else is having, I think, in that case. I'm not sure if that really answers your question. I think it does. I mean, you know, like you said, it might be that the person is perceiving being alienated and maybe it's just a communication issue um, and not necessarily a whole toxic culture or something. It may just mean the two need to work together more to figure out maybe the disconnect or just a little self-reflection on the leader's part or on the person experiencing this uh, alienation feeling. So yeah, I, think I, I would say in the very, very few instances where I have seen something become, and I hate to use the word toxic, but really negative at the root of it all was communications and maybe a lack of honesty by everyone about how they were feeling or what was being said and not communicating that up to leadership quick enough. Got it. Yeah. Again, that communication, it's important. Absolutely. So what do you think is the most significant barrier to female leadership? I believe that the most significant barrier still out there is the lack of women in leadership roles already. I do think this is changing. But if you're in an organization right now that does not have a woman principal or shareholder or a woman in the C-suite 
somewhere. Well, one, I find that surprising and disappointing, but that means somebody's going to have to break the barrier to be the first. And that's hard. It's hard to be the first, right? Why is it hard? One of the reasons I think is because norms and habits are in place in that organization then that will be male oriented. For example, client events might be set up around something that's more of a male pastime, like hunting or deep sea fishing, that I'm not saying women can't do those things, but there aren't as many women who do them. And then you have situations that are naturally occurring where decisions are being made and clients are being connected with and relationships are being developed that leave women out. Small talk topics will focus around things that might be more male dominated or male oriented. You know, one of just, there's just so many examples of this. Benefits might be a little different in the organization because it's male dominated at the leadership level. My favorite example of this is how many firms out there are paying expenses for the men in the firm who are renting tuxes for formal events and galas for client activities or, you know, the Chamber of Commerce gala and come to find out that all of the partners who are men are renting their tux every year and expensing it. Well, I don't know of many companies that pay for a woman's gown. And so that's just one little tiny example, but of kind of norms and habits and, you know, things that are in place that are tailored to men in the leadership positions. But then I would say on the flip side of that, there are other obstacles, uh, real or perceived, that sometimes are put in the way by women themselves. I think that women tend to overshare personal information. And again, I am all about being authentic and real. And I'm, I'm not saying anyone should hide who they are or what their roles and responsibilities are outside of the workplace. But too much sharing can create a perception, I think, for women that they're unavailable or that they are otherwise committed to things that will inhibit their ability to do things like after hours client events or meetings. And I think one of the examples I share that, that I've noticed is I noticed that women will sign out, sign in, sign out sheet at the office. Or if you use some sort of calendar notification when you're out of the office or, you know, even on your PTO, which is for whatever you need, women will actually put why they're going where they're going. Child's doctor appointment or child's dentist appointment, or I'm leaving to go to my, you know, I'm leaving to go to my son's baseball game every week. Well, I know for a fact that many of my partners attend all their kids' sporting events. And if it means they have to leave an hour or two earlier, they just do it and they just sign out. And, you know, it's, it's just as important for men to be dads and anyone in any kind of family to support their family and their activities. But Women tend to overshare, which I think creates a perception sometimes that they're just less available, too much going on. We won't even ask them because we just don't want to burden them. And I think that eliminates opportunities sometimes. Yeah, I think as I've kind of moved my way up, when there's after hours events and things, we have to remember to just ask if that person's available instead of just immediately saying, oh, they can't go. Right. Just be like, are you able to make it instead of like, they can't go to this happy hour because, you know, they're a parent. Let them make that 
choice for themselves. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Do you have any specific advice for women entering the AEC industry? I think it's a very exciting industry with a lot of growth potential for anyone. Probably the biggest piece of advice I'd give to a woman entering the industry for the first time is to research the firm you're going to work at. Many are very progressive. Many have a lot of opportunities and diversity and just how they approach their business. But others are still, you know, doing business in a maybe a way that's not quite as progressive. Of course, I think you should do this with any company you join, whatever industry it's in. But uh, look into the diversity, whether it's male, female, race, etc., to understand the opportunities for leadership. I would say know that the AEC industry is a hardworking field. It's the people in this industry work hard. They work, you know, long hours. But you can find the flexibility in the right firm to balance that from a work-life balance. I would say get involved in a professional organization related to the industry right away. Again, whether that's AIA, SMPS, A4LE, do that in order to find peers and female peers, especially if you're a woman. These people will help you navigate your career opportunities. You'll learn from them. You'll support each other all along the way. My involvement in SMPS in particular was critical to my development of relationships in the industry that are still very important to me today. I served on the board over 15 years ago here locally in our region, and several of us who are on the board together are in the C-suite. A couple of us are CEOs. Many are on the leadership level in their firm, whether they're senior associates or principals. And over the years, we've shared intel. We've shared inside information. We've celebrated project wins, and we've commiserated over losing to the competition. And we've cheered each other on along the way. And so I think there are a lot of opportunities for networks in the AEC industry. And it's an important part of, you know, gaining traction for your career growth, but also just having lifelong relationships with people. I love that. I love that. Um, The women kind of rooting each other on. And speaking of how can women support other women, either in their organizations or in the industry as a whole? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so important. Uh, No matter where you are, of course, I would say in your firm, in the company that you're at, befriend other women in the company. Don't compete with them. Get to know them, especially when they're new to the organization. Celebrate the personal events with each other, whether those are birthdays, weddings, baby showers. It can be outside the office or in the office. Take time to have coffee with your peers and then create a network within the firm and other organizations, as I've mentioned. And then finally, pay attention to what's happening with other women in your organization and in the industry, in your area. Celebrate their promotions and the success of each other. It's been really, really great for me over the years when you know there was announcement about a leadership move or opportunity that I had to receive a note or an email or you know, a shout out on LinkedIn, other women in the industry. And some of my closest friends professionally work not only in my firm, but in competing firms. And we found a way to really support each other and, you know, look out for each other 
And I think that's only positive for the future of women in the workforce and leadership and the AEC industry. We've got to elevate each other. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. With that, we always like to leave off asking each guest about a resource, whether it's a book, movie, TED Talk, podcast, something that's helped you when you were trying to find your way. Sure. Well, I I would say my biggest resource has always been that network and mentors and other firm leaders. You know, your mentors don't have to be in the AEC industry either. Find someone you admire that's in a role and a position that you want to know more about or you want to emulate and develop a relationship with them. But some specific hands-on resources, a couple books that I like. One is called You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader, and that is by Mark Sanborn. I love that book. The title says it all. Lots of suggestions for um, leadership initiatives. Another book I found not too long ago, actually, and I've taken to it as a gift that I share with other young women when I get engaged with them in a mentoring relationship or just, you know, women that I come across. Successful Women Think Differently by Valerie Burton. Great book. I heard Valerie speak at a women's conference and found her book a very easy read. Another book that is also a very famous TED Talk is Presence by Amy Cuddy. That's another good one. And then one of my good friends has a podcast that I recommend. It's called Saturday Sound Bites, and it's a podcast for women leaders and communicators, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy, and thank you for being on our show today. This has been awesome. And with that, we'll see you next. Gosh, Rachel, it's been my pleasure. So nice to see you in person, and I'm really excited to see what the Elevate Her 2022 cohort is going to do coming up here at the conference. Yeah, it's going to be great. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll see you next time on the Empower Space podcast. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the limited series Empower Space by Elevate Her. Follow us to listen to the next podcast and stay tuned for our next great episode coming soon, available on every major podcasting platform. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.